You're listening to the Harris Beach Podcast, a show that explores evolving issues in the law and how they shape organizations, the way business is conducted, and how we live and work. The information provided in this episode does not and is not intended to constitute legal advice. Instead, all information, content, and materials are for general informational purposes only. Thanks for listening. Here's today's host. Hello, and thank you for listening to the Harris Beach Podcast. I'm your host for today's episode, Ben Rand. Today, we're going to explore a recent patent infringement action between Juno Therapeutics, now part of Bristol Myers Squibb, and Kite Pharma, now part of Gilead Sciences. In connection with this dispute, a trial jury rendered a damages verdict, including a $535 million upfront payment and a 27.6% ongoing royalty. After post-trial motions, the court entered judgment against Kite and in favor of Juno for approximately $1.1 billion. It's a hugely important case in the area of pharmaceutical IP, and today I'm joined by Laura Smalley to discuss the legal impact. Laura is a partner in the Harris Beach Intellectual Property Group, She's an authority in this area, having been a regular contributor to the American Intellectual Property Law Association's Biotech Buzz newsletter, as well as a presenter on regulatory and IP issues for immunotherapies, including CAR-T and antibody technologies. Laura, thanks for joining us to discuss this really important case. I'd like to start with a general question just to frame the conversation. What is the importance of this case and what got you interested in it? Thanks, Ben, for the introduction. I think this case is important, and I was interested in it because it's another successful use of the reasonable royalty theory of damages in the pharma or medical realm. Basically, this case shows how a reasonable royalty can be used to support a large damages award where perhaps lost profits would be difficult to prove or technically inappropriate. In addition, a recent issue in the last couple of years has been lack of written description and enablement for biotech inventions. This case is another example of that. I assume eventually the federal circuit will hear the case and it will be interesting to see how written description and enablement, um, which have often been used to torpedo antibody patents, will be applied to CAR-T technology and just another patent in general. Interesting. So what is the technology involved in the Juno v. Kite decision? Um, Juno alleged infringement of its patent on nucleic acid encoding trimeric T-cell receptors, which is U.S. patent number 7446190. The invention was developed by inventors at Sloan Kettering and licensed to Juno by a Sloan Kettering entity. The patent relates to CAR T-cell therapy. This therapy is a form of immunotherapy that uses specially altered T-cells a part of the immune system to fight cancer. A sample of a patient's T cells are collected from the blood and modified to produce special structures called chimeric antigen receptors on their surface. When these CAR T cells are reinfused into the patient, the new receptors enable them to latch onto a specific antigen on the patient's tumor cells and kill them. Juno alleged that Kite's Yescarta product, which according to Kite, is the first CAR-T therapy for adults living with certain types of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma infringed its patent. Can you describe a little bit about what the competitive position was of the parties? Basically, the parties were direct competitors. 
but there was a twist in this typical situation. Basically, Kite had introduced its cancer therapy on the market after receiving marketing approval from the FDA on October 18, 2018. As of trial, Juno had not yet brought its therapy to market, and apparently its CAR-T therapy, which was still on the pipeline, did not actually use the patented technology. Juno basically had switched technologies a bit. And one of the key points at trial with regard to willfulness and damages was that Kite infringed the patent so it could be first to market to get the financial advantages from being a first mover. Being a first mover, which is the first person um, to introduce a certain therapy, confers substantial benefits due to the ability to set pricing and creates a sticky market share because physicians and treatment centers tend to be loyal to the first treatment they use. Got it. So what were some of the issues involved at the trial? I thought this case had several interesting issues. Basically, um, infringement really hinged on a validity issue. There was a certificate of correction issued on the patent. And the question at trial was, was the certificate of correction valid? During the prosecution of the patent, the applicants had noted an error in the key sequence ID number and requested removal of the first four nucleotides. Because an incorrect sequence listing was submitted, the change was not actually made during prosecution of the patent. After five years, the applicants sought a certificate of correction to correct this error. So the jury, in essence, was asked to decide whether the certificate of correction was valid, which it did not overturn the certificate of correction. So in essence, it was found valid. And because Kite had, in essence, conceded that it infringed the patent if the certificate of correction was valid, the jury's determination resolved the infringement issue in favor of Juno. This case was also interesting in that validity over the prior art was not really an issue at trial, which is uncommon for important drug cases. Basically, um, in 2015, Kite had petitioned for inter partes review of the patent to review its validity over the prior art, but the Patent Trial and Appeal Board upheld all the claims of the patent in a final written decision issued in December 2016. So basically, due to the procedural posture of the case, the validity of the patent over the best prior art had been determined before the litigation was instituted. And as I noted before, Kite challenged the patent on the grounds of lack of enablement and lack of written description, which the jury found not proven. The jury was asked to decide also whether infringement was willful and the amount of damages. A little bit of background, the T-cell receptors encoded by the claimed invention included the intracellular domains of a CD3 zeta chain and a signaling region from a co-stimulatory protein such as CD28 with a binding element that specifically interacts with the selected target. The jury heard evidence and apparently accepted that evidence that Kite knew that its collaborators had copied the backbone, in essence, the CD28 co-stimulatory region and the Zeta chain of Yescarta, the infringing product, from one of the Sloan Kettering researchers. 
Thereafter, Kite had tried to invalidate the patent unsuccessfully, tried to license the patent unsuccessfully, and when it could not license the patent, simply went ahead and commercialized its infringing mm -hmm. product. So, in essence, the story that Juno put in front of the jury, that Kite stole the backbone of the invention and then just put out the product instead of licensing it, I think helped sell the jury on the damages theory advanced by the plaintiff. That makes sense that they would think that. Um, what type of damages were awarded? Basically, the jury awarded an upfront payment of $585 million and a running royalty of 27.6%. So the court determined the amount of running royalties up through the time of trial, which was approximately $193 million plus prejudgment interest. Then, based on the jury's finding of willfulness, the court awarded enhanced damages of approximately $389 million, making the final verdict approximately $1.1 million. There will also be post-judgment interest and a running royalty of 27.6% on the next net revenues of the infringing product. And, and what was the basis for the damages? Um, as I indicated before, the damages thought were a reasonable royalty based on the terms of a comparable license which was adjusted based on the party's bargaining position at the time of first infringement. Basically, um, Juno and Sloan Kettering had a license agreement with a 7.25% royalty rate, an upfront payment of almost $7 million, and some other milestone payments. There was also a side agreement with a stock success appreciation fee of $150 million. So based on that license, Dr. Sullivan, Juno's damages expert, opined that based on the direct competitive situation between Juno and Kite, the upfront fee should be $585 million and the running royalty should be 27.6%. There were also other licenses relied upon, agreements with St. Jude and Novartis that had a similar structure but lower upfront payments and lower royalty rates. It is relying on the reasonable royalty theory of damages beneficial? In some instances, yes. To recover lost profits, you have to establish that but for the alleged infringing activity, the patentee would have captured the infringer's sales. Patent owners generally have to satisfy a four-part test to obtain lost profits, which includes showing demand for the patented product, the absence of accessible non-infringing alternatives, manufacturing and marketing capacity to exploit demand, and the amount of profit it would have made. On the other hand, a reasonable royalty, which is evaluated under a different set of factors known as the Georgia-Pacific factors, doesn't require that a multi-part test be satisfied and can be more flexible in terms of proof. And as we've seen in this case and other recent cases, even though it's typically thought that a reasonable royalty may be lower than lost profits, it can actually support a fairly large damages award. And a lot of flaws in an expert's opinion, such as whether licenses are comparable, are viewed as issues of fact for the jury rather than a legal reason to throw out the expert's opinion. Okay. And what are the next steps in litigation? Is there room here for Kite to appeal? Yes, Kite um, filed a notice of appeal at the end of April, um, and presumably the case will 
um, end up at the federal circuit. The timing for resolution, assuming everything follows a normal pace, is approximately 15 months from docketing to the decision based on the last statistics from the federal circuit. So I would expect that we would see a resolution to this case in the third or fourth quarter of next year. So more broadly, Laura, what do you think the effects of the litigation may be on cancer treatments in general? And do you think the case has some precedential value? Is it something that pharmaceutical companies need to keep an eye on? As to the first part of your question, um, it doesn't look like the litigation will affect the availability of the infringing treatment. Um, Juno agreed it would not seek an injunction if it received the upfront payment thought, and it doesn't appear that an injunction was requested or granted. As far as profitability, it doesn't appear that Kite argued that the ongoing royalty left it with no profit, so I assume that Kite will continue to manufacture the treatment. With respect to the second issue, each factual situation on uh, damages is different, but I think this case is a good continuing precedent, assume it's, you know, assuming it's affirmed by the federal circuit of the use of a reasonable royalty in pharma and medical device cases and the ability of a reasonable royalty to support a fairly large award. Very interesting. Um, well, thank you, Laura, for your time today, and thank you, everybody, for joining us. Um, for more information, including how to get in touch with Laura, please visit www.harrisbeach.com. Thanks for listening to the Harris Beach Podcast. Be sure to visit harrisbeach.com to join the conversation and access show notes. Please rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcast.